right. So let's, uh, let's ask you a question today to get started. Who was your superhero growing up that you wanted to be growing up? And maybe you're still growing up and you're in the room today. Uh, you still want to be a superhero. So on the count of three, tell me your superhero. Who is it? One, two, three. I didn't understand any of that, but there's one person over here that was very emphatic about who they knew they were. Whether it was Batman or Superman or, or I wanted to be, not Wonder Woman, I wanted to be either Batman or Superman. And I kind of bounced back and forth between the two. And so I don't know what you wanted to be growing up. Uh, I also bounced back and I wanted to be the Incredible Hulk. I mean, who would not want to be the Incredible Hulk? Uh, and be jacked like that. But I grew up not in the, in, I grew up when Lou Ferrigno, uh, was, uh, was the Incredible Hulk. And he was, he was seriously, uh, on, on a real, now some people are saying right now, hold it, Batman is not a superhero. And if you're one of those Marvel nerds that has to, you know, that, that those aren't superheroes. The Marvel people are the superheroes. I get it. And I maybe not be right in calling Batman uh, a superhero, but I think he is. I think there's things that he could do that other people couldn't do, or he had cool gadgets and toys that he could do. So you let me live in my fantasy and you can live in yours. But uh, whether it's Thor or it's Black Panther or Black Widow or Iron Man or the one, the most recent uh, superhero Deadpool, the edited version, I must say, uh, if it's, uh, if it's Deadpool and one of my favorite lines in the movie is whenever he says rock meat bottom, uh, in the first movie. And so it's just like that. You know, you sometimes even the superheroes hit the bottom. Okay. Even the superheroes don't have all the strength to conquer all the problems of life. But you know, superheroes, though they might have their superpower, there was always limits to their power. There was always limitations to their powers. But you know what? We have been, as as humanity, been admiring superheroes, if you will, for a long time. The Greek gods were superheroes, if you will. They were there were many of them that were demigods, even. But you got Nike, who was the god, of, uh, the god of the goddess of victory, or Poseidon, the the god of the sea, or Athena, who was the goddess of wisdom. And there's 20 other Greek gods out there. Because no single God could do it all. Just like no superhero can do it all. So you have to have all these other heroes to make up what for what the one hero. But is there, could there be, might there be one hero, one superhero, one individual who is omniscient, who is omnipresent. That means omni means everywhere. So he's omniscient. He knows it all. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. He's omnipotent. He can do anything. Would there, could there be a superhero? And I want to propose to you today that there is. And that superhero that we look at today is the person that Isaiah wrote about. 800 years before he ever walked this earth, there was a superhero, I'll say it, that was coming and now the prophet, when he presents him to us, listen, we get a, we get a first hand look of him. This is what one theologian said. He said, uh, 
the prophet's presentation of God is not the abstract description of a, a philosopher's theologian, but rather a highly personal portrait influenced by a face-to-face encounter with God. Isaiah had a face-to-face encounter with God that would totally change his life and change the trajectory of his life that would change his vision of life and change the message of life. It was a completely life-altering experience. It happens in Isaiah 6. Now, we're in Isaiah 9, okay? So be finding Isaiah 9. We'll be there in a moment. But if you go to Isaiah 6... You'll find where he has that one-on-one encounter, that face-to-face encounter. And what he's doing is he's actually in the temple and he's mourning and he's grieving the loss of the King Uzziah, who to some degree, some people might look at King Uzziah and call him a superhero. This guy reigned over Judah for uh, for 50 years, 50 plus years. He started when he was 16, and he was a king for a number of years, all right, for up to five decades, if you will. And it says, in the year of King Uzziah died. So many people believe that this was almost, whether they declared it this or not, but this was what was going on in the year that King Uzziah died, is that the whole country is mourning the king. King Uzziah is gone. Who's going to replace him? King Uzziah was this awesome king that God blessed and honored. But even King Uzziah had kryptonite. You know, most of those superheroes had a crypt, have a kryptonite that take away their power. And for King Uzziah, it was pride. It literally cost him his kingdom. It cost him his reign, excuse me. And at that time, as he dies, the nation is mourning. Isaiah is mourning. Isaiah is in the temple in a state of mourning because King Uzziah died. And it was at that moment, as he's, listen, as he's looking at, remembering his superhero Uzziah, as he's looking at and remembering all the great things that King Uzziah, the king of humanity, had done, he sees the king of kings. It's as if God replaces the image with a greater image behind Uzziah. He says, Uzziah is dead. Yes, but let me show you the king that never dies. In Isaiah chapter six, verse one and two, it says in the year, the king Uzziah died. I saw the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up. Don't just skip over that. King Uzziah is dead. The 50 year king is gone. But what do I see? Am I still seeing the King Uzziah? No, I'm seeing the King of Kings. The Lord sitting on his throne high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim. Those were angels. And each had six wings and the two that covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. This is a worship experience. An incredible passage of scripture, probably one of my favorite passages in scripture. But this is what he does. Take the superhero that you would like to be in life and then put God in front of that and he will overshadow that superhero. He is the king of kings. He is the the mighty king. And what we're doing in this series of messages leading up to Christmas is unwrapping the gift of his presence. And the gift of his presence we saw last week was that he is a wonderful counselor. 
The gift of his prayer presence this week is that we will see that he is a mighty God. He is a mighty, mighty God. And here's something I want you to hang on every week, that the gift of God's presence is the greatest and the best gift present you will ever get in your life. The reality that he, the king of kings, is with you and that he is your wonderful counselor, that you never go through life without him, that he is with you and he is for you and he is counseling you. My friends, there's nothing better than that. Unless you want to add to that, that not only is he a wonderful counselor, but he is a mighty God. He is a powerful, all-powerful God who's able to overcome everything. And when I'm talking to Jesus, I'm, I'm, when I'm talking about God, I'm talking about Jesus in this scenario. Listen, this world is full of troubles and darkness, right? I don't even need to go back and repeat all of this happened in this past year. But Isaiah 9, 1, as we talked about last week, he said this. He said, there will be no gloom. Well, the reality is that there is gloom. So how is it that you can say there is no going to be no gloom, but then there is gloom still out there? Unless, listen. The light is greater than the gloom. And to, uh, when the light becomes greater than the gloom, then the glo- then then we now no longer see the darkness. 9 chapter uh, chapter 9 verse 1 there will be no gloom. What does Jesus say in John chapter 16 verse 33? In this world you will have tribulation. There will be troubles, there will be job losses, there will be bad health reports, there will be pandemics, there will be wars, there will be elections, there will be uh, losses, there will be gains, there will be all kinds of tribulations that you will experience in life. God never says that he's going to take all of that away. But what he does say is that he will be with us in every single one of those. But take heart. I have overcome the world. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. In this world, you're going to have gloom, but take heart. Because what does he say in verse 2 of Isaiah? He says, the people who once walked in darkness have seen a great light. The people who were once in darkness have seen a great light. So again, the gloom may still be out there, but the reality is that Jesus comes in and he turns on the light. In John chapter 8, he says this twice. He says, I am the light of the world. Jesus Christ is going to come into our darkness and he's going to turn on the light. And how is he going to do that? But I come back to it again. He's going to do that because he's going to be our wonderful counselor. He's going to do that because he's going to be our mighty God. If you know him in that, in that manner... If he is your wonderful counselor, he is with us, he is for us. If he is your mighty God, he is large and he is in charge. Now, whether we trust him to be that is a different thing. I said each week we're going to look at the person and the promise. Because every one of these in Isaiah 9, we're in Isaiah 6, now go over to Isaiah 9. And let's look at our main passage that we're looking at week, week by week. In Isaiah 9... We get a glimpse or a picture of, of who this Jesus is. Prophesied 800 years before he ever walked the earth. He says, for to us a child is born, verse 6. To us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulders and his name shall be called. Here's the outline for the entire series. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Next week we're going to deal with everlasting father. Christmas Eve we're going to deal with the prince of peace. And of 
this increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end. Let's talk about this presence. The presence of the person, first of all. And that is that Jesus is God. Jesus is large and in charge, my friend. Now, a lot of people want to get off. They have a, they get, they're on the struggle bus right now. When you think about Jesus being God, Jesus being almighty, they can accept Jesus as being a moral example. They can accept Jesus as being an ancient Gandhi. They might accept Jesus as being a great physician, an exceptional philosopher, a great teacher. They might accept Jesus as being this, this kind of mystical figure. But to say that Jesus is God, they have a hard time with that. Whether that's you or it's somebody you know, people are believing less and less and less and less that it's about Jesus. You can just look at our Christmas season. In our Christmas, is this, is Christmas a secular holiday or is it a religious holiday? Now, you don't have to answer that out loud, but I think you know the answer and you're in church anyway. The answer would be it's a religious holiday, right? It's, it's, it's Christ mass. Christ worship. That's what we're doing. Mass is worship. So we are worshiping Christ. However, in this day and age, we are less and less. According to a recent study, 46% of Americans will tell you that they celebrate Christmas primarily, not primarily as a, excuse me, 46% believe it's a primarily a religious holiday. That is down from 51%. So we as a nation are becoming less and less focused on Jesus and this being about him. I want to come back to this whole idea of who Jesus is 800 years before he ever lived. What about a thousand years before he ever lived? What about in Genesis chapter 3 when the first prophetic message is giving of Jesus? There was years, hundreds, centuries, thousands, millennium of prophecies that we're giving, predicting the coming of this per- particular person that we're going to call Jesus. There's hundreds of, in fact, no, excuse me, there, there's 65 of them totally in the Old Testament at least. In the book of Isaiah, there's 35 of them. Here's a few of them, okay? You can jot them down. You can go back and look at them. So, 800 years before Jesus, in chapter 7, verse 14, he said that there would be a virgin-born child. That is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Now, hang on to this. Five of these that I'm going to give you. There's 35 in Isaiah alone. Chapter 11, verse 2, it says that the Spirit would be upon him. What happens in Mark chapter 1, verse 10? The Spirit comes down upon him. In Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 10, it says that he would have influence over the whole world. Well, when you read Romans chapter 15, verse 12, you'll find that he had influence over the whole world. Even it speaks of the Gentiles. When you go to Isaiah 53, it says that he would suffer vicariously for us as a suffering servant. Well, you go to Mark chapter 15, verse 3 and 4, and you'll find that he was a suffering servant for us. Isaiah 25, verse 6 to 12, it says that his death is swallowed up in victory. His resurrection brings us victory. Well, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54, you'll find where it is fulfilled. What I'm trying to say is hundreds, if not thousands of years before Jesus ever walked this earth, there was prophecies that he was coming. 65 total that I've identified in the Old Testament. Now, why is this important? Because what's the probability of that? 
What's the probability of somebody being able to say hundreds, if not thousands of years before ever walked this earth, that Jesus would come? Well, you have to talk to a mathematician, but if you were to just take eight prophecies, not 35, not all 35 in Isaiah, but if you just take eight prophecies and a mathematician were to figure it out, he would tell you that's one in 100 million billion chances that one person would fulfill eight prophecies given 800 years before. One I can't even put my arms around that. One in, uh, one in 100 million billion. That's more than, any, than the total population that's ever lived on the earth. Just to give that in perspective. That same mathematician figured it up and said that if you take silver dollars and scatter them across the entire state of Texas. Texas is big in pride and big in landmass too. And piled them two feet deep. Silver dollars blindfolded somebody, told them to walk out in the middle of the silver dollars, and they were to reach down and pick up one marked silver dollar. That would be the probability rate of that person getting that one silver dollar. So for for one person to get eight prophecies correct, what about 48? Mathematician Peter Stoner said it like this, for the messianic prophecies of 48 to become true of one person that would take one in a trillion, 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 trillion chance of that happening. Now, that's, again, above my pay grade. I can't figure that out. I can't put my arms around that. But to say this, is that for this one child to be born in a manger that was prophesied long before, the reality is that that is an incredible feat and that God must have orchestrated something. And when you go to John chapter 1 and you read John chapter 1 and it says that in the beginning was the Word and the Word being Jesus and the Word Jesus was with God and the Word was God, you're, what you're saying is that Jesus is God. Jesus was in the beginning. Jesus was there. Jesus is he everything. In, he is in the beginning with God in all things that were made through him. And without him is it, not anything that was made that was made. So basically, Jesus didn't begin meek and mild lying in a manger. Jesus has always been. And he just put on flesh and dwelt among us. And then you read the Christmas story in John chapter 1, verse 14. He says, and the word became flesh. The word, the same word, John chapter 1. Now we're in John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen the glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. That is the story of Christmas. That Jesus comes and lives with us. And the story of your life and my life, well, hopefully, that's John 1, 14. Uh, hopefully what's true of all of our lives is John 1, 12. To as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become his children. You become a child of God when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He's not just a God. He's not just a good man. He's not just a philosopher. He is God. And when he, you accept and embrace him as God, then you accept and you become a part of his, of, of his family. And today we're going to witness some people being baptized. Even as children, they can begin to understand and embrace this in faith. But can we as adults, 
What about you watching online? You know, if, if you're, if you're like, okay, I'm not in the room. I can't be baptized. You just text GPC connect nine, seven, triple zero. And a pastor will reach out to you and talk to you about how we can talk about baptism for you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, while I was preparing this message, I got the, I got a message from a church planner. He's a Muslim born, Muslim born Iranian. Who's a believer who's now a refugee in Athens. We've been working in refugee, with refugees in Athens for the past several years. I'm going to call him Ed just for, for his own security of his, his namesake. During COVID, Athens or Greece as a country has gone through two complete lockdowns. That means you don't go out unless you're going to the store and all that kind of stuff. Ed has started two churches in COVID. This is the beautiful thing about the gospel. It's more powerful than COVID. And so what happens is he writes me this, this message. I want to throw it on the screen. I want you to read it with me. Just listen to this. Is, Dear Pastor Mike, during quarantine, I spent my time with 10 people and finally six person of them gave their hearts to Jesus. Also, I baptized five persons in my place, my bath, my bathtub. Due to the pandemic of COVID-19, I have to teach them by Skype and WhatsApp. Please pray because I have very difficult to share love through social media. Media, You can hear the broken English in there. I want to be a good example to them. This guy was born as a Muslim in Iran. Flees, gets to, uh, Afghan, gets to, gets to Athens, runs into a believer, becomes a follower of Christ, becomes a church planter, and now without any excuse, he's baptizing people in his bathtub. Because the gospel is stronger than COVID. Alright? Because Jesus is God. And that's what we're celebrating this season. And that's what we should celebrate every day of our life is that Jesus is God and let us walk in the power of that. But not only is he God, here's the promise, he is, Jesus is the mighty God. Jesus is not just a God, he is the mighty. How big is your God, by the way? Answer that to yourself. How big is your God? Because we have many gods we have a mini God problem, okay? There's many gods out there. There's many people. There's many things that we get in our lives. Food. Even the Bible talks about people allowing their bellies to become their gods. Pleasure. Success. Fame. Fortune. The commercialization of Christmas. The list goes on and on. Many gods leads to idolatry. That's what that does. We not only have a mini God problem, we have a mini God problem. And the problem with mini God is that leads to a a faith problem that points to a little faith. I'm afraid that there are many Christians in many churches who have a mini God problem. Is they don't really see that God can meet them where they're at. And I want to point out to you today that we have a mighty God in Jesus Christ. It, this is what Eugene Peterson said. He said, the Bible isn't interested in whether or not we believe uh, in God or not. That's an interesting statement. It, it assumes that everyone more or less does. What is interested, what is interested in is the response that we have toward him. How do we respond toward the God of the Bible? Okay. Will we let God be as he is? 
majestic and holy and vast and wondrous? Or will we always be trying to whittle him down to the size of our small minds and insist on confining him within the boundaries that we are comfortable with? Refuse to think of him other than the image of what is convenient for our lifestyles. I think we have a mini-God problem, but we also have a mini-God problem. And what we need to see and what our hearts need to experience is a mighty God. Many people with a mini-Gods or mini-Gods will miss the mighty God in Jesus. You have to ask yourself, what am I trusting in? What am I believing? What, how much am I walking in faith? Because listen, how big is your God is a very important question to ask. It will determine the, the, the depth of who you are. 328 times in the Old Testament is this word mighty used. It refers to strength and power and warriors were given this, this title. I think when you think about the Christmas story, instead of little Jesus meek and mild lying in a manger, I want you to think of a cosmic invasion coming to this earth to overthrow the darkness of this world. That's the way Philip Yancey describes it when he calls the birth of Christ the great invasion. A daring raid by the ruler of the forces of good into the universe's seat of evil. How big is your God? We're starting a series in the new year. And the very first message in Genesis will be chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. And the title of the message is, How Big Is Your God? How Big Is Your God? The next week, chapter four, or chapter 1, verse 4 and following, is How Big Is Your Universe? When you don't, when you have a small God, you have a hard time seeing that God could create it all. But when you have a big God and you have a big, vast understanding of what God is and can do, then you go, okay, God, how did you do this? And listen, I am not a scientist nor the son of a scientist. And so we're going to actually have a scientist come, an astronomer come. He's going to come on the 10th of January. And he is an astronomer. He's a scientist. He's an author. There's lots out there on him. Dr. Danny Faulkner will come and be a part of our time together. On Sunday morning, he's going to share, I call it creation light, okay? Uh, and then on Sunday night, afternoon and evening, he's going to come back and go, astronomy, physicists, deep on us, okay? So it depends on how deep you want to swim in that water, but we'd love to have you back for that. And here's the deal. Because of COVID, we have to have a limited number of seating. So it is a registration event. So if you'll just text universe to 9700, then that will enable you to sign up to be a part of that incredible evening together. Don't have to sign up for Sunday morning, just come. But Sunday evening, you do have to sign up for. But what am I trying to get at? I'm want to, in 2021, make COVID this and God this. I want us to get our minds off of the tragedies of the election, the tragedies of our health, the tragedies of maybe where our family... I want us to think about what is God wanting to do in us, through us, that he's been able to do. Listen, the world, we need a mighty God. We need a mighty God. For years we have been 
We've been hiking in the Himalayan region for 10 years now. In the southern area of the Himalayas, we were working for a number of years. And where some of our Christmas offerings have gone back in the past has been in southern, along the southern area of, uh, of the Himalayan mountains where, uh, where we were doing human trafficking work and working with people coming out in halfway house and, and, and place people who were caught in human trafficking trying to help rescue them. And that's one of the things that we were, been a part of in the past 10 years. And then we went from the southern Himalayans to the western side of the Himalayan mountain region. And we've been there for about, oh, maybe five or six years now. There's been lots of things. We've sent different teams to go trek in the mountains and to share the gospel along the foothills of, of the Himalayans. And we've, we've even, through your, again, your, your generous giving, we've been able to give a micro loan to a church planner there that goes all the time when we're not there. And he continues to go out. So now we're going to go to the eastern side of the Himalayans where there's Tibetan people. Well, there are people that are largely Buddhist. And we're in the process this Christmas uh, season of trying to see the book of, trans- the, 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 the book of uh, Genesis translated as the Bible translation project is happening among the little horse people. And as you think about just imagining around this mountain, the largest mountain region in the world, the tallest mountains in the world are in the Himalayas. And what do the people do? They look to those mountains as mighty. And what will they do? They will climb up those mountains and they will hang as high up as they can on the mountains these these Buddhist prayer cloths. These little flags that are colorful, five different colors. One means water, one means earth, one means wind. Uh, let me get them all straight here. Um, one means uh, fire, but one means a dark void. And they believe that when they pray, the prayers will go out and they heap, put them up on the mountains so that the pray, so that the good vibrations of the earth will keep their prayers going throughout the night, 24-7, 24-7. And what are they praying for? They're praying for the earth, they're praying for the wind, they're praying for the water, but they're also praying for a dark void. And here's what I realized as I read and learned about this Buddhist belief, that everybody in this world has a dark void. And until Jesus enters in, there is gloom and there is no light. But what did we say earlier? That in Jesus, there is light because he is our mighty God. We're praying that God would do a great thing among these Tibetan people. These people that don't have access to the gospel, don't have a church. There are so few believers. I hope that you're joining us in that process. And I hope you're praying for the dark void that they're praying for. But I hope that what you pray for is, God, would you shine your light of Jesus into their own dark void? I want to ask all those who are being baptized today to go out through that left, to that door right there to, to my left, and y'all will be ready here in just a second to, to, to be baptized. But I want us to, 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 to think about just a moment further as they go is when David was king, he would climb a mountain. He would climb a mountain up to Jerusalem. And what would he say when he climbed that mountain? One of his psalms of ascent was Psalm 121. 
121, verse 1 and 2. He says, I lift up my eyes towards the mountain. From where does my help come from? I lift up my eyes for the mountains. Think about those Tibetans on the eastern side. Think about the, 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 the Muslims or the, the Buddhists or the Hindus on the western side. Think about those people caught in trafficking on the southern side of the Himalayas. Think about the people in your own life. Where do they look? Where does my help come from? Where does that void get filled in my life? And what does David say? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. My help didn't come from the vibrations of the mountain. My help didn't come from, from, the, uh, from the earth, the wind, the fire of the world. My help comes from the one who made the earth, the wind, the fire, and the world. Because we don't just have a God, we have a mighty God. Do you know him today? Father God, would you help us to know you? To know you, God. As the promised Messiah hundreds and thousands of years ago, you were promised to come and you came and you're still with us as a wonderful counselor and you're still with us as a mighty God. But you're not just a God, one among many gods, but you are the God in Jesus Christ. And so Lord, I pray for anybody who does not know you today as the mighty, wonderful God. I pray that they would trust you right here and now. Say yes to you right here and now. Open their heart to you right here and now.